0: You have a Bible, and I hope that you do. Go ahead and turn with me to First Samuel chapter twenty-six. First Samuel chapter twenty-six. We'll read the entire chapter; it's twenty-five verses, but we will read the entire chapter this morning um, uh, as we make our way closer and closer to uh, the chapter uh, the only, the second, probably the second most well-known chapter in the Book of First Samuel, um, after David and and uh, the Goliath and Goliath from Gath. Um, earlier in the book and that is 1st Samuel 28 where Saul approaches a necromancer and so we'll deal with that when we get there Um, but 1st Samuel until then 1st Samuel 26 this morning as we um, as we deal with the text before us as we look at this morning um, courageous humility Uh, courageous humility. So if you have a Bible and you're physically able to do so, let me invite you one more time to stand with me as we read these, these verses together. And let us hear what the Lord has to say to his people this morning. And so in a very real sense, let it be said, thus says the Lord. And the Ziphites came to Saul, to Gibeah, saying, Does not David hide himself in the hill of Hakala, which is before Jeshamun? Then Saul arose and went down in the wilderness of Ziph, having three thousand chosen men of Israel with him to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul pitched in the hill of Hakila, which is before Jeshimon, by the way. But David abode in the wilderness, and he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness. And David therefore sent out spies, and understood that Saul was come in, uh, was was indeed come. And David arose and came to the place where Saul had pitched, and David beheld the place where Saul lay, and Abner the son of Nair, the captain of his host, and Saul lay in the trench, and the people pitched around him. Then answered David and said to Ahimelech the Hittite, and to Abishai the son of Zeruiah, brother of Joab, saying, Who will go down with me to Saul to the camp? And Abishai said, I will go down with you. And so David and Abishai came to the people by night, and behold, Saul lay sleeping within the trench, and his spear stuck in the ground at his, at his bolster, that is his head. But Abner and the people lay around about him. Then said Abishai to David, God has delivered your enemy into your hand this day. Now therefore, let me smite him, or strike him. And I pray you, with a spear, even to the earth at once, and I will not strike him the second time. And David said to Abishai, destroy destroy him not, for he for who can stretch forth his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? David said, Therefore, as the Lord lives, the Lord shall smite him, or his day shall come to die, or he shall descend into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should stretch forth my hand against the Lord's anointed. But I pray you, take Take now the spear that is at his bolster, at his head, and the cruse of, of water, the, the, the jug of water, and let us go. So David took the spear and the, the jug of water from Saul's head, or bolster, and they got, and they got away, and no man saw it nor knew it, neither awakened, for they were all asleep, because the deep sleep from the Lord had fallen upon them. Then David went over to the other side and stood on top of the hill afar off and a great space being between them. And David cried to the people and to Abner and the son of Nair saying, Answer you not, Abner. Then, ans- then Abner answered and said, Who are you that cries to the king? And David said to Abner, Are you, are you not a valiant man? And who is like to you in Israel? Wherefore then have you not kept your lord the king? For there came one of the people in to destroy the king your lord. This thing is not good that you have done. As the Lord lives, you are worthy to die because you have not kept your master, the Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is and the jug of water that was at his bolster. And Saul knew David's voice and said, Is this your voice, my son, David? And David said, It is my voice, my lord, O king. And he said, Wherefore does my lord thus pursue after his servant? For what have I done, or what evil is in my hand? Now therefore, I pray you, let my Lord the king hear the words of the servant. If the Lord have stirred you up against me, let him accept an offering. But if they be the children of men, cursed be they before the Lord. And for they have driven me out this day from abiding in the inheritance of the Lord, saying, Go serve other gods. Now therefore, let not my blood fall to the earth before the face of the Lord. For the king of Israel is come out to seek a flea. As when one does hunt, a partridge in the mountains. Then said Saul, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will no more do you harm, because my soul is precious in your eyes this day. Behold, I have have played the fool and have erred exceedingly. And David answered and said, Behold, the king's spear, and let one of the young men come over and bring it. And the Lord render to every man his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord delivered you into my hand today. But I, have, I would not stretch forth my hand against the Lord's anointed. And, he, and behold, as your life was much set by this day in my eyes, so let my life be much set by, by, in the eyes of the Lord, and let him deliver me out of all tribulation. Then Saul said to David, Blessed be you, my son David. You shall both do great things and shall also shall prevail. So David went on his way, and Saul returned to his place. Let's pray. Father, as we have now looked at your word, we have now clearly heard what you have said to us. May we continue to submit to you, Father, as we now enter into this time of preaching. May our hearts be set upon Christ to hear the word of God, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You can be seated. Thank you. I heard um, Dr. Richard Phillips give, a, give an illustration, um, and I, I think it's pertinent for, for where we are in May eleventh uh, of sixteen eighty five, um, there was a young lady, an eighteen year old young lady, by the name of Margaret Wilson, who was condemned for refusing to swear the oath of, of, of basically an oath of allegiance um, that was to um, King James the seventh of Scotland, who was also King James the second of England. And don't get, uh, uh, and so uh, there was. Um, he, he had his subjects swear that he was not only the sovereign ruler of Scotland and England, but he also had them swear that he was also the sovereign over the church, the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, this young woman, uh, Margaret, was most unwilling to acknowledge that, she, that that King James II was in fact uh, the sovereign over the church. She believed that only Christ was sovereign over the church. She was willing to swear and acknowledge allegiance to, her, to the king as her sovereign, as her king, but not as the sovereign over the church. And for this particular crime, she was sentenced to a most heinous death. She, she wasn't even um, sentenced to be burned at the stake. She was, in fact, instead um, sentenced to be drowned, to be drowned in the river. And so they they put a stake, two stakes in fact, one a little further out for her older companion, um, so she could watch her die uh, first and rethink her allegiance to or her her willingness to swear allegiance to King James the um, and that he was the sovereign of the church. So they tied they tied her and her older companion out into the river on the stakes, and so they waited for the tide to come in, and her companion, of course, perished first, uh, and. Um, she she was asked again and again will you will you re- will you repent will you relinquish this belief of yours but uh, but it was interesting because we are told that as the waters began to swirl around her own post she began to simply recite romans chapter 8 and she recited romans chapter 8 aloud for all of them to hear she began to she began to or she concluded ultimately with the end promises of Romans chapter 8, which is that neither death nor nor life nor demons or angels or anything else can separate her from Christ. And so ultimately, she began to drown. To add insult to injury, before she could fully drown, the uh, those that had tied her to the stake um, removed her from her post, revived her just enough... For as she was able to gasp for air then, and they asked her, will you now at this time pledge your allegiance to King James? She said no. She would pray for the king, but she would certainly not pledge her allegiance to the king over the church of Jesus Christ. She was then drowned by her captors, because she refused to pledge her spiritual oath of allegiance to the King of England. It's interesting, isn't it? We live in a time in which most professed Christians in the West are scarcely bold enough to withstand even the fads and the fashions of our own day, much less to live in complete rebellion against a culture who is in rebellion to Christ. We stand often on the cuspid of, of, of being overcome by fads and fashions and all sorts of things. When our culture, who is in rebellion to Christ, comes calling, we cower, oftentimes as sissies, instead of standing bold in Christ. Instead of allowing the example of great, the great martyrs of the faith have gone before us, like Margaret Wilson um, to to shed light upon us and to us to remember that we are not to fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul but rather we are to fear him who can both destroy body and soul in hell. That's what Jesus told us in Matthew chapter ten, verse twenty eight. And it's interesting that that this is the world that we live in, a world that is advanced, experienced with great worldly powers and direct us and teach us and try to tell us how we should think and act and believe. And yet we are called to stand firm in the faith in all areas of life. And it is to this point that King David, I really think, points us to standing um, in opposition to uh, a wicked ruler and an ungodly king who, though, uh, though God allowed him to be chosen by the nation of Israel, ultimately stands against everything that God commanded of him. And I think Saul, as well as David, serves then for us as, a, as an example of what happens when God's word is either rejected or accepted. When we either reject the, the word of God and the rule of God, or we accept God's word and God as sovereign and as ruler. And to this end, I I want to present to you two facts, two truths about courageous humility. Um, Because it does matter how we do this. It does matter how we stand. Um, It it matters that we stand, but also how we stand. So, So let me present to you the first reality here. It's found in verses 1 through 4, and it's simply this. That as Christians, we are to be a blend of both courage and humility in the face of life's difficulties. We are to be a blend of both courage and humility in the face of life's difficulties. I think we see this clearly throughout, uh, through, the, uh, through David's example here in verses 1 through 4. David is again, what, what's happening? Well, it's almost like a repeat of chapter 24, isn't it? I mean, David is David is again, right? Notice all the agains here. Dave, <clears throat> excuse me, David is hiding again. David is hiding in Jeshimon or in Hakala again. Saul is pursuing David again. The Ziphites, again, uh, they they tell on David. They they betray David again and again and again and again. And yet, despite all of this betrayal, despite all of this, 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 um, this hardship in his life, David serves as a perfect blend of both courage and humility. Now, perfectly? No, I mean, obviously not. David was human, and David, David sins on, on many occasions. We looked at, at uh, his, his intention to sin, and, and Abigail's discussion with him last week as, he, uh, as God kept him, as she says God kept him from sinning uh, and taking matters into his own hand. But, but most certainly, David does serve as an example of both courage and humility. Because in spite of being betrayed, despite him being on the run, despite everything that David has been doing, right? This is we're coming up on, on close to close to ten years here at this point, right? So don't don't miss the fact that David was on the run for, for close to ten years. Right? So so this he has been on the run for quite some time at this point And has experienced great triumph and great defeat. And despite all of this, David's faith doesn't waver. David's courage doesn't waver. David's humility doesn't waver despite being betrayed over and over and over again. As I said, uh, the Ziphites in 2319 betrayed him first. And I'm not sure exactly why. Perhaps it was because of what Saul did to the priests at Nob and slaughtering uh, a great, uh, not just the priests, 80-some priests, but their families so, um, would have been well within the hundreds of people that Saul slaughtered through Doeg, and so perhaps they are fearful of this. But this feels just a little different. Last time that may have been the case, but this feels just a little different. Perhaps they felt a little more emboldened because they seemed like they got in on the king's good side, right? And this time, they are, they, are willingly to, they are willing to ultimately betray David, the king who's been anointed by God. And yet, in the, in the face of all of this, in the face of betrayal, David is a man of faith, of courage, and humility in the midst of all of this. But not only that, David is also a man of faith and courage and humility, despite Saul over and over again trying to kill him. David had every right to defend himself, Um, Even by the law of Old Testament, David had a right to defend himself. Um, But David chose again and again and again and again not to defend himself. David chose over and over again that despite Saul's wickedness, despite Saul's ruthlessness, despite Saul's betrayal, despite the fact that Saul was willing to kill him over and over and over again, David displays great faith and courage and humility in all of this despite over and over again being sought and almost taken on several occasions by the king. But even in this, David is a man, in verses 3 and 4, who is a man who finds great faith and courage and humility, despite again being even outnumbered, despite again him being hemmed in, Without there, there being some, some great reasons for him to be to be greatly scared, greatly um, greatly fearful, because he is he is on the he is on the verge of being discovered again, just like in chapter twenty four. David again exercises great faith and courage and humility. He does this. Now, in chapter 27, we see that ultimately fear catches up with David, and so he runs away to, again, he runs away to Achish, and that's a whole other sermon for a whole other Sunday. But in reality, at this point, we see David not cowering in fear, but standing in faith, standing in courage, standing with great humility as he does this. But, you know, David isn't the only example of this, is he? David isn't the only example of men and women who are who are courageous and stand courageously in the faith. I mean, as as the writer of Hebrews says, I mean, time would fail us to to talk about all the great men and women of faith, right, who have done great things. But I do want to mention just a few here, just to remind us that David that David wasn't special. David isn't special. I mean, he's special in the sense that he is God's anointed, he is God's elect, he is he is God, part of God's family, but. This is, this is nothing that God doesn't do in our lives and in our hearts. and this isn't, There's nothing special about David that moved God to do this. And this is most certainly not something that God does not do in our own lives. I mean, after all, I mean, think about it. Think about Noah, preached 120 years while being mocked and ridiculed. Enoch walked with God and he just simply wasn't. Uh, but, we're, but what's astounding is the fact that Enoch walked with God in the midst of such a crooked and perverse generation. Joshua, the 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 um, the leader of the Israelites after Moses, fought valiantly. Elijah risked his own life to show God's honor on, Mar- on Mount Carmel, or Mount Carmel. And so we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego standing against the king's edict to worship the idol that he had that he had built, and they instead went through the fiery furnace in faith. David stood against Goliath in faith, Jeremiah, in faith, stood firm upon God's word at great personal loss. Daniel refused to stop playing and, or excuse me, stop praying uh, though, it had, though it meant that he would be thrown to the lions at the age of 80-some years old. Don't miss that. We all often think of Daniel like all oh, this is occurring when Daniel was really young. No, 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 Daniel, when he was thrown to the lions, was, was 80-some years old. And he stood in faith, willing to accept from the Lord whatever God had so designed and predetermined to take place in his life. Daniel stood faithful. And then we could go on to the New Testament and talk, about, and talk about Paul and we could talk about Peter and we could talk about, um, we could talk about Barnabas and Silas and we could, we could go on and on and on as we see great men and women of faith who do great things for the glory of God. And we need to not be tempted to think as if God did, not, did something particularly special there. Yes, it was special in the sense that he empowered it, but it's not special insofar as it's not something that he will not do in our lives but instead christian when we are faced with great difficulties when we're faced with great problems when we're faced with great trials when we're faced with great troubles when we when we're faced with 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 mocking and and faced with ridicule and faced with 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 persecution or faced with any number of things that may come our way even perhaps even the great cost at personal at the great personal cost for us we need to stand faithfully courageously firmly, boldly, humbly upon the strength and the power of our great God. We need to stand in the power of the Holy Spirit who has been given to all of God's people who empowers us to live for the glory of God. We need to stand in the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit who empowered these great men and women of old. Right? We, could, we could have talked as easily about Esther or, or about Ruth or, or Naomi or any of the others uh, great women of faith um, who stood firmly for the for the for the glory of God, and this is this is something that Christ does in us today, Christian. If we will but humble ourselves before Him, if we will but live in the power of the the spirit of God that God has given to us for us who have repented and believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ and have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ God is at work within us God is at work within us and he calls us to live our lives with great faith great courage and great humility in all areas of life but here's the second reality and it's found in verses 5 through 25 and it's simply this, the Christian life is portrayed as a soldier living his life or her life, living, as a lo- living our lives, fighting battles of faith in the strength and the power of God. And it's no different for David than it was for us, as Paul writes to us in, first, uh, in, excuse me, in Ephesians chapter 6, right? To be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, to stand firm in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's no different for us. David's circumstances are certainly different than ours. But it's, it's no different than what God has called us to do. That, that is that, that oftentimes, here, here is what the... the mm, this, is, this is unfortunately in the West what I fear for us. And by the West, I mean Western culture, right? The United States, Canada, right? Western culture that we import to most other uh, places throughout the world, right? Not just, not just our ideas of the Republican democracy, but I mean, I mean our ideas even of Christianity seems to be that God has so blessed us in this nation to be able to have experienced such blessings for so long that I fear what we have done is instead of adopting a, a mentality of of, of, of of spiritual warfare that we are fighting as as soldiers of Christ against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places, instead we have been lulled to sleep and it's like we're asleep at the switch. Where it's almost like the most, most of the church is asleep because we've been lulled to sleep because we think we're on a cruise we're not on a cruise we're we're not on a cruise right we're 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 at war with the flesh we're at war with the devil we're at war with with the spiritual forces of wickedness in high places right we we don't have we don't have physical weapons by which we fight our battles right we we have we have the armor of god we have the the armor of of light as paul tells us in first corinthians we have the sword of the spirit which is the word of god the shield of faith the helmet of salvation the breastplate of righteousness the belt of truth the shoes of the gospel so that wherever we go we preach the gospel we have prayer we have these are our weapons of our warfare right we are called to wage war against our own sin and we are called to make much of Christ in the world by preaching Jesus, by preaching the gospel, by calling our nations to repent and to, to kiss the Son un, unless He becomes angry. Because there's coming a day when God will judge the nations And we must call them to repentance and faith in Christ. We must call them to submit to the law of God. We must call them to surrender and submit themselves underneath the Son's rule and reign, lest He become angry. And when He becomes angry and and His anger is aroused, He will judge the nations and they will not stand in that day. And so as David ascends, we, and, and this is what we see here throughout this. We, we could have easily, I could have easily called this David ascending because this is really what's happening here. It's just really a turning point for David and for, for his, his, his life in chapter 26, even though he has a little bit of struggles in chapter 27. Um, this is really a turning point. David is now ascending and Saul is just free falling at this point ultimately will be seen in chapter 28 when Saul's freefall is complete and he goes kersplat all over the place but the reality is that 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 when when as we look at this David is ascending and Saul is descending because David why because David is a good person <laughs> no no because David is uh, somehow got in on good God's good side. No, again, wrong. Sorry, not the answer. Um, but because of God's grace, God's grace has been poured out upon David, and God and David has taken refuge in the Lord. David has taken refuge in the. Lord. David has taken refuge in the in the Lord's word. Right? David wrote many many psalms, but he knew right. He he was aware of the the Torah, the first five books of the. Of the Bible, he knew well the stories of the judges, right? Um, he knew well the story of, of of Samuel and and those who had gone before him, men of men of faith, men of renown, women of faith, women of renown who loved the Lord. And David places his trust. He refuses to harm Saul in verses nine through twelve, and he also. But it, but but it's not just. It's not just he's refusing to do something. He's also doing something else. He's placing his faith in the Lord. He's not just refusing to harm Saul. Why does he refuse to harm Saul? Because he's looking to the Lord, and what does he say to his own men? Or what does he even say to Saul? He says, Saul, this, this is not for me to repay you, this evil. It's not. You're God's anointed. God's going to take care of you. David seems to understand something at this point, that even Saul, it hasn't quite figured out. And that Saul is going to die, that God is, God is done with Saul's foolishness. And, and let me say this a, a wartime mentality then has always been expected from God's people, right? Again, I, I want to be clear about this, right? We're talking about spiritual warfare here, right? Okay, I just want to be clear about that. We're talking about spiritual warfare. But spiritual warfare has always been the mentality that Christ has called upon us. Christianity is not for the faint of heart. We are commanded to count the cost. Jesus said, Count the cost. The Christian life is difficult because it calls us to live by the standards of the Word of God, by the kingdom of God, in in defiance of the culture that we now live in, in defiance against everything that our culture stands for. We live counterculturally for the glory of God, right? It is now counter, think about this. It is now countercultural, young men. Young women, for you to love your spouse and raise godly children. But that is what God has called us to do. It is now countercultural for us to value marriage, and yet that's what we're called to. God calls us to value the, the local church, God tells us to value our time together as the local church. That's countercultural. In the midst of a hedonistic society, we are now called to influence that hedonistic society through the gospel by living for the glory of God and by bringing every sphere in existence underneath the authority of Christ by preaching the gospel and by leading well for the glory of God in the spheres in which God has placed us whether it be the sphere of science or art or technology, or if it be in the sphere of, 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 of education or politics or whatever the case may be, God has called us to live and to live well for his glory in those spheres. We are called not to lust for pleasure and the good life, but to be inconvenienced for the glory of God, that we might raise families for the glory of God. We might encourage people to love their spouses for the glory of God, to, 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 to love the widow and the poor and the weak and the hurting and the those who, who are the outcasts of society, you know, like we've always done in the church of Jesus Christ. And so the question for us is this, Will we stand, will we stand in the history of the men and women and in the, the, on the shoulders of those who have gone before us who have suffered greatly for their faith, who loved greatly and mightily for their faith, who have suffered that the gospel might go forward, who were inconvenienced that the gospel might go forward, that the gospel might be preached, that the gospel might be proclaimed, that, that, that all spheres might be brought under the influence of Christ. Will we be valiant? Will we be like the soldier, Abishai, who said with David, when David asked, who will go down with me to the camp of Saul? Who will go with me? Will we say with Isaiah, here I am, Lord, send me. Will I be faithful to honor Christ in every area of life? This has always been the prayer. This is my prayer for you. And this this has always been the prayer. Excuse me. This has always been the prayer. I got a little too animated there. Uh, This has always been the prayer of God's leaders. I mean, think about this Joshua. In Joshua 24, 15, what did he say to the nation of Israel? And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites uh, in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Or what about Peter? Who said? Peter said, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that, it, that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is the call of God unto our lives in, Hebrews, in Ephesians six ten through 11. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And Christian, let me say this. Discipleship demands ultimately that we behave with strength and courage and boldness. And yes, ladies, this is applied to you, right? So, so I know that I'm speaking um, um, largely in, in the male vernacular, but, but this also includes you. This very much includes you. Uh, 1 Corinthians 16.13 says this, Watch, stand firm in the faith, act like men. Uh, The King James would say, quit you like men, but, but just literally act like men. Be strong. And this is what we're called to do. We must stand our ground in the face of temptation. We must stand our ground in the power and strength of Christ and in obedience to the word of God in opposition to everything that would dishonor and bring dishonor to the Lord. We must maintain our integrity in the midst of of all of, of, of our fallings and failings and weaknesses. And we must do what is good and right in the eyes of the Lord in all areas of our life because ultimately this all comes from Christ. David did not stand in his own strength. We don't stand in our own strength. We stand in the strength and the power of Christ. You see, our strength is the strength of David, and that is the Holy Spirit. He is the one who helps us. He is the one who supernaturally strengthens us. And I think David, more than anyone else, knew that, that he was a weak man. Right? He, he ultimately knew this. But he also knew that the Lord was the source of his strength, as we'll see him say here in just, a, just a next, in the next chapter. He knew that the Lord was his strength. And, David, and, and But notice this. What did David do? Did David just run off to the hills by himself? No, no, no. What did he do? He sought to surround himself with other valiant men who fought valiantly. Brother, let me say this to you clearly. You are not an island to yourself. You need other men of God in your life to help you, to encourage you, to strengthen you, to encourage you to fight the good fight of faith. Women, you are not an island to yourself. Sister, you are not an island to yourself. You need sisters in the faith who will help you, encourage you, who will challenge you, who will call you to repentance and faith and will call you to obedience and surrender to Christ in every area of our life. We are not called to do this on our own we are called to live for the glory of God by the strength of Christ but also this is the blessing of the local assembly the local church but this is the this is the blessing of the church of Jesus Christ is that we don't fight alone we don't fight alone now let me let me show you two things and then we're done first it is I want to show you Jesus in our text of course, you would say, I don't see Jesus anywhere here. Well, that's just because we're looking in all the wrong places. So let me show you this. Jesus is the greater David who resisted the temptation to grasp the crown prematurely. Jesus is the greater David who, in obedience to his father, lived exactly the way he was supposed to, righteously, sinlessly, and not a single moment before the father had designed it to be accepted the cross despising the shame jesus is the greater david jesus is the greater david who in the moment of his in the moment of his death refused to take vengeance on his enemies oh yeah he is the great high king and oh yeah His enemies will be repaid, but in the moment in which he died for our sins, in the moment upon which he was struck and beaten for our iniquities, in the moments in which he was struck and treated cruelly and had a crown of thorns twisted upon his head, in those moments that he was crucified on the cross and hung upon the cross between heaven and earth, being railed against by man and being cursed by the Father, by God himself, this Jesus refused to take vengeance upon his enemies, but instead served his enemies, humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross, Paul will tell us in Philippians chapter 2. Thirdly, Jesus is the greater David who acted perfectly righteous and faithful. David's righteousness and faithfulness ultimately fails. He ultimately fails. He's fearful, he runs away, he does many things including having great uh, committing sin with Bathsheba by having adultery, by committing adultery with Bathsheba, but ultimately while David's faithfulness and righteousness fails, our Savior's righteousness and faithfulness does not fail. It never fails and therefore he is able to save sinners to the uttermost as, as the writer of Hebrews tells us. Jesus is the greater David who gained the reward for his righteousness. The salvation who of all who would repent and believe the gospel. And Jesus is the greater David who that, who that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is the greater David, that all, although all David's enemies ultimately had to bow to him and acknowledge he was the king of Israel, Jesus is greater in that all his, all his enemies in all the earth will bow and acknowledge his lordship. Jesus truly is the greater David. But how does this apply to us, right? Because all of this is great and, and, and good, and this is good for us to know. It's, it's edifying for our soul, but let me leave you with a couple points of application, if I may. I think ultimately, the question becomes, how does God lead us? Because let me say this for, for us. Christian, open doors and open opportunities are not necessarily the Lord's leading. I know, I've been down that road. I have the shirt and the cap to wear with it. Open doors and open opportunities are not always necessarily the Lord's leading. And so that calls us then not to lean upon our own feelings. But ultimately then, how are we led? We are led by God's word. We are led by the Holy Spirit in God's word. And so we read, we study, and we memorize God's word. Listen, we're not always going to know what God is doing, but we can most certainly be sure of our duty We may not always know what God's doing, right? We may be saying, God, I have no clue what you're doing here. But while we're waiting, we most certainly know what we are supposed to be doing. Worshiping, being faithful, honoring Christ, living for the glory of God, assembling with a local congregation regularly, worshiping, right? Being held accountable, right? Putting on God's armor, right? Let me say this. I think the second reality for us, like David, is that the fear of the Lord really does keep us from sin. Now, when I say the fear of the Lord, I don't mean like, you know, if I'm if I'm bad, my daddy's going to beat me. Okay, that's that's not that's not that's not fair and that's not right. But what I mean by the fear of the Lord keeps us from sin is that. David feared God more than he feared men, and so he obeyed. In other words, he reverenced God. He loved the Lord. He did what he did. Right. So. <clears throat> to, make it, to make it, I guess, applicable for me, I, I would say to you that, that while, while I'm not perfect and my, my, my earthly father certainly isn't perfect, um, I, I do have great respect for my father and this earth. I was given a very, very good dad. Not perfect, but a good dad. And because I want to honor him, I do a lot of things. And that's, the, that's what we're talking about. It is, it, is, it is a reverence and respect for God that leads us out of this reverence for who he is to love him. And to serve him. Like David then, we are also called to respect those whom God has put in authority. We, we are called to do that. It doesn't mean that we, we don't have the, the right to at times to call them, or we don't have the right to call them to repentance and call, them, call out their sin. Most certainly not. But we are called to, to respect to respect those whom God has put in authority over us. In other words, treat their office with dignity, even if they don't act dignified. And I think also in this sense, like, like, we're never called to take shortcuts Shortcuts in our sanctification. David most certainly didn't, and we're not called to do that either. You see, our, our lives are called to reflect the Lord's righteousness and faithfulness, and, and that's ultimately what God has called us to do because because let me say this christian god is the only one like like we, we can look at all of these all of the world and everything else in it but do you know ultimately god is the one who is the only one who can be fully trusted he's the only one who will never fail us i mean husbands and wives and children and grandchildren and, 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 and all, uh, you know jobs and i mean all these things fail us but christ never fails us the father never fails us the holy spirit the, the trinity never fails us and so we are not to be like Saul who can't be trusted, but we're like to be like David who, because he trusts the Lord in the midst of a wicked and, 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 and dishonorable age, we can honor the Lord and vindicate the, right, the Lord's righteousness. I would also say this. Last, I, th- I think this is the last thing I would say in closing, and it's simply this. You and I as believers are not called to be like Saul who was double-minded and foolish. But we are very much called to be men and women of integrity and faithfulness. Men and women who submit ourselves to the Spirit of God and the Word of God. And in the fear of God, we love and serve God. So let us let us look to Christ. Whether we are here this morning who have never placed our faith and trust in Christ, God's call to you is very clear this morning. Repent turn from your sin turn from your self-reliance turn from your self-righteousness turn from from self and flee to Christ who alone has lived perfectly before the father who alone has lived righteously and who alone through his death has purchased the way the only way of salvation repent and turn to Christ flee to Christ and for those of us who are in Christ who have done this already then do not forget that it is in Christ that we must live. It is in Christ that we must live. It is in Christ that we must submit ourselves. It is in Christ and to Christ that we must, we must honor and live for the glory of God in all things. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for our time now. Thank you for the word. Thank you for the example of David who lived in, a, in the midst of great suffering and great trials, but who lived for the glory of God. Lord, we thank you that ultimately he points us to Jesus. That he points us, David points us to the, great, to the greater king who was to come, King Jesus. Who lived perfectly and sinlessly. And who through his perfect sacrifice upon the cross purchased salvation for all who would repent and believe the gospel. Oh God, help us now. Help us now to respond in worship. Help us now to respond in faithfulness and in faith. Help us to respond not in fear, but in faith and in courage and in humility in all things in this life, we pray. In Jesus' name.